From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Hello, hello. It's Elizabeth here. Welcome back to the Discerning Marriage Podcast. I have a wonderful guest on the show with me today, Dr. Greg Batero. Hi, Dr. Greg. Hey there. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Thanks. Good. So many of y'all listening know that I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. So it will come as no surprise to you that I deeply value counseling as a tool to help you live an abundant life in Christ. We are all wounded and these wounds can keep us from becoming who God wants us to be unless we take active steps to heal. And so for some therapy is the perfect step. And I find therapy to be an especially beneficial tool for people discerning marriage. So have y'all listened to Jeanette Clark's humility episode? Um, In that episode, she actually mentioned that she's going to teach her five children that one of the two most important criteria for a spouse is that they're willing to go to counseling because being willing to go to counseling is really humility in action. And it keeps you from getting stuck in um, kind of a gridlock when you have arguments or when you're just, you can't move forward in your marriage and being willing, having the posture to go to counseling is so helpful for your marriage. So um, I've invited Dr. Greg here to have a conversation about therapy with us because he's a therapist, obviously, and as a therapist and as a human, I really appreciate his work. He wrote a book, um, which I'll let him describe, but it's called The Mindful Catholic, and it is a powerful tool for holistic Christian living. And I honestly tell all my counseling clients that I waited for years for someone to finally write this book, and I'm so thrilled it exists and that it is so helpful for them. I am going to sound a bit like a fangirl here, but I did meet Dr. Greg in person once um, at the Catholic Psychotherapy Association Conference in 2016. And I remember being so excited to meet a fellow therapist who had such a grounding in John Paul II's teaching and who really saw his work um, as a, a therapist as an extension of, you know, his life as a Christian. So I'm delighted to have him. Um, are you ready to get started, Dr. Greg? Let's do it. All right. So like I said, you have authored this incredible book called The Mindful Catholic that I find both personally and professionally beneficial. So that word may be new for some people, especially people in the Christian circle, mindfulness. Will you kind of give us a definition of mindfulness and also explain the connection between mindfulness and our Catholic faith that you make in your book? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for such a wonderful introduction. I'm really excited to be here with you. And I love this project and this podcast and and what you're doing in your ministry. So um, <laughs> in a lot of ways, I see, you know, your your own ministry and, and working with people through therapy, um, really sort of amplifying and expanding and, and growing out of that same love for John Paul II and his articulation of our faith and and so many other good works. So so thank you for doing what you're doing, and um, oh, and I'm really honored and, and really grateful for for being here with you. So, um, yeah. So so what I discovered was that you know there's there's so many people trying so hard in our faith and coming up short. You know, there's like there's so many people with such good hearts and good intention and making the effort, and they're just trying so hard, and the human experience doesn't seem to like really be moved by that Mm. where people are like trying so hard and still feeling anxious, trying Mm. so hard and still feeling depressed, trying so hard 
and still having conflict in their marriage, trying so hard and still having difficulty with their kids. And, you know, trying so hard and having failed relationships and dating relationships and feeling like they're lost in their discernment. And it's like, how hard does God really want it to be? <laughs> it's like, it's like, what the heck do you need us to do, God? Like, I'm praying every day. I do all the novenas. I'm praying the rosaries or, you know, I'm going to adoration and I do all the courses and I watch all the virtual conferences. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, listening to Bishop Barron and Father Mike Schmitz. And I'm like, you know, doing all the podcasts and the YouTube channels and and I'm praying, but where are you? Mm. Like, why does it feel so empty? Why does it feel like something's missing? Mm. And, and this is what, you know, I've come up, first of all, I had that experience in my own life. And, you know, we can talk more about that if you want, but you know, my own journey, I was discerning religious life and I gave everything. Like I literally gave away everything I owned. And I joined a group of Franciscans and I lived for four years as a Franciscan with literally nothing to my name. Like I went all the way with like trying to do it the right way. Amazing. And I was still coming up empty. Mm. It was like, I was kind of, I was happy as a friar. I was very joyful when I first started, but then I ended up miserable. Mm. And I was in temporary vows and I was discerning. I was with Father Benedict Rochelle, who is a, an amazing, amazing uh, wow. saint and, and passed away a few years ago. Um, on the, on the eve of uh, the memorial of the death of St. Francis, it's called the Transitus of St. Francis. And that's when Father Benedict made his transition into, you know, into the next life. Um, and uh, just a beautiful experience with him. And he's the one that unlocked for me what was missing. And I, and I understood by, by being with him and for him showing me, it's not supposed to be this hard. Mm. It's actually not. Like when, when scripture tells us, when Jesus says, you know, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Like we kind of miss that in the daily actual lived out experience of being a Christian. It's supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be this hard. So if it's this hard, it's because we're missing something. Mm. We, there's a connection we're not making. We're not fully connecting the dots here. And unfortunately for our situation, there are a lot of spiritual leaders and teachers and authors and, and all sorts of things that are promoting a false spirituality, which has more to do with what you do instead of who you are. And who we are comes down to 1 John 6, love consists in this, that God loves us first. And it's that we are loved. We come into being because and as being one who is loved. And that's it. That's the, that's the scope of our identity. We need to start there. So I figured that out under the direction of Father Benedict, who helped me see that because I didn't know that at the deepest core level. I was working to try to earn my value. Mm. And no matter how many rosaries or hours on my knees or, or anything else that I did, it's never going to work. Right. Because our value is infinitely dignified. It's not something we can earn. Right. And until we really receive that and understand that, we're not going to be free. So through his direction, Father Bennett led me to abandonment to divine providence. Close. And abandonment to divine providence, I'd actually read about 15 times. I love the book. <laughs> but what, what he made me realize was that I wasn't living the teaching of the book. See, when I was reading the book, 
I felt that peace and I thought all was well. But because the book is a, a primarily spiritual work, it doesn't teach us how to actually cognitively, intellectually, psychologically live with this kind of abandonment and trust. It's mm -hmm. a spiritual book that teaches us that we should trust. It positions us to trust while you're reading the words on the page. You're like, I agree. I trust. And now I am happy. But then you close the book and you walk away. And like 10 minutes later, you're anxious and upset or frustrated mm -hmm. or depressed about something else because reading the book is beautiful, but it doesn't put the dots. It doesn't connect the dots and, and put us in a place where we know, okay, this is what I should do then later when I'm cooking dinner or talking to my mom or on my way to work. Like what's going on in my head that's making me feel the loss of peace because I don't actually trust practically and emotionally. Absolutely. It doesn't, there's all this ideal that we all espouse to, we believe in it, but when it comes to applying it practically, that's where we right. fall in short. And yeah, that book was, that's not the purpose of that book. Right. And so, exactly. That's not the purpose of it. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. So it presents this lofty spiritual idea, but we need more than that because now, now what I've come to understand is the, the problem in the church is a lack of understanding of our humanity. Mm. Now, that maybe wasn't a problem for Father Jean-Pierre de Cussade when he wrote the book, but now it is a problem. Right. And we don't understand. So we, we act almost like we're angels. And by what I mean by that is angels are spiritual beings only, and they're moved by spiritual reality, spiritual ideas. So if an angel reads a really good book, <laughs> then the angel will be changed by the book because it's an idea. Right. A person reads a really good book. That's not enough. Mm -hmm. Because we're not just angels. We're not just spiritual. We're actually also physical. We're biological. Right. And the interaction between the biological and the spiritual is the psychological. Absolutely. So the psychological, if you and I understand our vocation appropriately, we have the vocation, the amazing blessing and honor of having this vocation to be a missionary of the incarnation. Mm, I love that. That is what a psychologist, a therapist is, a missionary of the incarnation. It's to proclaim to the world that God became man, that Jesus Christ is the model for all humanity. And if we want to be happy and we want to be holy, we look to Jesus, who is the example of humanity. Christ reveals man to himself and makes his divine calling clear. This is our mantra, our motto, our banner. It is the, the saying of our lives and our vocation. So, unfortunately, because our humanity in its broken state can be so uncomfortable, <laughs> and, and because our brains are created to avoid this comfort, people will find every way possible to avoid dealing with our humanity. And it doesn't matter if they're Catholic or Christian or not. We're going to find some way to do it. And in the church, there's become very convenient ways to deny our humanity by moving in this realm of being spiritualists and not humanists mm -hmm. and actually understanding that our only path to happiness and holiness to heaven is through Jesus Christ and his humanity to encounter him in his divinity. So it's a lot of backdrop, but I feel like this deserves a lot of sort of fleshing out here um, to be really well understood that what Catholic mindfulness is, it's very simply taking a program that is very well researched and well developed in terms of understanding the way these brains of ours work. 
And taking the good out of that and applying it to this spiritual principle and this project of abandonment to divine providence. So mindfulness is an, an eight-week protocol, like, like technically what it is. It's now become a big thing that everybody uses the word. But what it actually started <laughs> off as... From a clinical perspective, right. From a clinical perspective is this eight-week protocol, like you mentioned. And it takes a person through an educational journey and a, and a process of exercises to teach and help a person encounter what is really going on in their head, in their distraction, in their fear, in their sympathetic nervous response, and building out stories, imagining things that are not true, but all as a matter of trying to protect ourselves, which is a good thing in itself, but almost like letting that protective feature and faculty of our brains hijack our freedom mm. and our life. Well so we said. need to become aware of what it is that's happening and then learn how to be in control of it so that we can redirect it and be focused on the present moment, which is really where we can encounter God and have that deep trust and abandonment that will lead us to peace. Absolutely. So how, I guess, why, why is developing this mindfulness practice, like you've said, a helpful thing for the Christian life? Well, it's helpful in the fact that we are given it's funny. That's a very simple question and I have to think about it because I have an answer, but it's, it's, I have to formulate it simply because I, I don't want to lose the answer and the explanation. All will be well, God promises us. And he gives us everything that we need, but he gives it to us in the present moment. Mm, yes. He only gives us what we need now. He doesn't give us what we need an hour from now or 10 days from now. So when we create anxiety for ourselves because we're immersing ourselves in the problems of the future, there is no solution available to us for the problems in the future. And God doesn't promise to take care of the problems in the future for you right now, sitting in the anxiety and worry about them. He promises that all will be well in reality, which is to say the present moment. So all will be well now. So what mindfulness does is it teaches us how to turn our minds and hearts towards the present moment so that we can know that all will be well. And that lines us up psychologically, humanly, spiritually to be in the presence of God. And that's where all is well. And that's where trust comes in. That's where faith comes in. And that's where that's why Jesus says, do not be worried about the, the, the things of your life, where you'll eat or where you'll sleep or what you'll be clothed in. Again, those are things of the future. But if we return our focus to the present moment, that's where the promise counts. And I love how you said that teaches us, right? This is not something that for the, the average person in 2020, that comes naturally to us, right? right. We're, we're not in a place necessarily, most people, where we can just zone in on what's going on right now and yeah. enter into the grace that God, God has given us. And I think even, I love this story about St. Therese that I think kind of embodies how mindfulness can be helpful. I'm a little bit, this is the Elizabeth version. I can't remember exactly how she phrased it in A Story of a Soul, but she basically says, when I imagine the suffering I'm going through right now, and I 
and I try to think about suffering more in the future, it's so overwhelming to me. I cannot mm. fathom suffering more than I'm suffering now. But then I remember that God only gives me the grace for this moment. And when I am suffering more in the future, he'll give me the grace for that then. Yes. So I don't need to worry about it. Right. Yes. Um, again, that's Elizabeth's version of Therese, but she says that it's very Theresian yeah. way of thinking of don't try to steal grace from the future because you don't have it. You only have grace for right now. And I love how you phrased it. it. It teaches us to do this because it doesn't come naturally to us. So this mindfulness practice of developing, you know, these, these eight weeks, he does eight chapters, but, but fleshing this out for you, teaching you, forming your mind to be able to focus. Right. Exactly. Love that. So switching gears a little bit, um, or I guess maybe it's tangentially related. I know this may, might sound a little bit basic, but I was wondering if you could define therapy for our listeners, because I found in my own work that people associate therapy to be exclusively with mental illness. Like I'm not schizophrenic, so I don't need to go to therapy, right? That's for, that's for people who have schizophrenia. Like I don't need that or whatever. But I, I think that people don't realize that they can get something out of therapy even if they don't fall into that kind of category. And so I think they miss out on a lot. So could you define therapy for us and yeah, kind of such a, break this open for people? It's such maybe- a complicated and broad question and simple question, but it's not simple. <laughs> it's so funny. So you I'm trained so in welcome. spiritual direction and <laughs> coaching and in therapy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I'm working with a patient, I'm working in all three areas. Sure. And we sort of go around, but then I also train other therapists and we have a, we have a Catholic psych Institute. So we have some therapists that are trained in spiritual direction and therapy, not coaching. And then we have other therapists that are doing therapy and coaching, but not spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. So this becomes a really important question because it's like, what are you getting help with and from whom and how are they really trained? Yep. Absolutely. You know, so it's like, you know, the way that I see therapy is, you know, people say like, one is directed towards a relationship with God and therapy is directed towards a relationship with self and others. I I think it's a good sort of starting point, but at the end of the day, all of our relationships all overlap each other. So it's pretty hard to like, practically speaking, parse that out that way. Sure. But what I do see is we all are on the same journey. And like Therese says, we're all in the same boat. Like we're all in this together. And just the way she related to the criminal who was being hanged. Mm. And she said that we're going to be sitting at the same table in heaven. We're, we're all on the same journey. And what John Paul II says, he describes this in his philosophical work called the acting person. He says that we, and he breaks down the, the anthropology of the person. And he talks about how we have a, a subconscious and then we have our conscious awareness And that for full human freedom and full human action is his terminology. His book is called The Acting Person. It's about human action, which is action which is fully free because it's conscious and intentional. And that's a fully human act. To get there, our life consists of the journey of moving data, memories, thoughts and feelings, patterns of behaviors out of our subconscious into the light of our conscious awareness. And he says that this is the primary task of morality and education to bring the artifacts and events from our subconscious into the light of our conscious awareness so that we can act freely upon them and choose intentionally how we act based on what we're carrying inside of us. So that's the human journey. He says it's the primary task of morality and education. Wow. Now, if that's the case, 
we have a lot of work to do because we're carrying a lot in our subconscious that we're not aware of. Right. And the way that I understand therapy is that sometimes it can be really helpful to have another person trained in these areas of the subconscious to help unlock a little bit more self-awareness for you. Hmm. And sometimes the lack of self-awareness does manifest itself in behaviors that cross certain clinical thresholds. So we could be sort of, you know, quote unquote, diagnosed right. with an anxiety disorder, with a depressive disorder, with maybe some severe mental illness of some other sort. All of those things are possible, but that's not really how we define like what therapy is all about. It's certainly necessary at that point, but it's helpful for anybody who's seeking to know themselves and is very serious about that. So when St. Augustine says that he prays for two things, to know God and to know himself, it's like, that's our project. Know myself. I want to know myself. I want what's in my subconscious to come into my conscious mind. I was talking with a Dominican um, recently about this, and he um, pleasantly um, and, and um, charitably quoted St. Augustine to make one of his points. It was awesome. <laughs> Usually Dominicans are very focused on Aquinas, but he was quoting Augustine for me in this point. And he was saying, you know, even in, um, in um, the confessions, Augustine talks about this. He says, I have memories that I don't remember, but I remember that I have them, even though I don't remember them. Mm. It's like, what is this limitation of this faculty of the intellect, this faculty of memory, where it's like just outside the scope of awareness? And that's the whole point. It's like, let's bring these things into view. Let's bring these things out into the open. And so sometimes there's a little help that's afforded by having a professional trained in these matters to help us shine that light on these things. And so therapy, very simply defined, is, is uh, the process of having a professional help you to become more aware of things previously locked in your subconscious. Awesome. And how can this therapy or how can therapy, you know, in this, this true definition benefit someone who's in the season of discerning marriage? Oh boy. So many ways. <laughs> uh, so marriage is uh, a great mystery. <laughs> you know, to quote I, St. Paul. Yeah. To, 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 you know, the, the ways that these realities locked into our subconscious affect us and our thoughts and feelings are almost immeasurable. And when we are discerning, we think we're making decisions on, on what we really think and feel and what's really good for us and what we really see in the other person about who the other person really is. But we have so many filters and biases and shades over our eyes mm -hmm. to know ourselves and to know the other. And so if you, when you make a decision of, of, of a vow till death do us part, like you're locking yourself in for the long haul. Yep. And if you're at a certain point of your own self-development where you're relatively unaware <laughs> of the kinds of things that are locked away in your own subconscious, mm -hmm. that is going to come out at some point between now and the till death do us part 
point. Yes, we can promise you that. It's we coming can out. promise you definitely. <laughs> Probably in the first six months. No joke. But it <laughs> yes. might also be after seven years so or 30 years. But the point is, the more work you can do to clear those filters, to unearth that subconscious, to drag up some of those, especially deeper wounds that have really affected us at that level, the easier time you're going to have at it. It's going to be much clearer. And, you know, simple example is the research that shows very clearly, like a, a daughter of an alcoholic walks into a room, you know, at, uh, you know, at a friend's house and is attracted to the one guy out of 10 who's an alcoholic. And that's without alcohol being present in the room. Right. There's something unconsciously that we're driven by, that we're motivated by, that we're moved by. And this is like validated data. Like that's going to happen in a, in a statistically valid, significant way. Absolutely. To make a point out of this, like something's going on here. Right. We're just carrying that wound is going to affect. Now, this woman might have no idea that it has anything to do with the alcoholism. She just thinks he's cute. He's funny. She likes his eyes. She likes his whatever, his manner of dress or his personality or whatever. And but most meanwhile, likely under the, the surface. She's not, she's not consciously thinking like, ooh, he drinks like my dad. Like, I'm going to do exactly. that. Exactly. She, she's not thinking that. Right. But that's exactly it. him in other ways. And she's probably trying to avoid situations where oh, she, totally. she's going to end up with somebody like that. But despite her best efforts, she's going to end up with somebody like her dad. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what, you know, if she did some work first to like uncover that, and it doesn't have to be some like dramatic trauma. It, it, it can be like little things, just little mm -hmm. relational dynamics, little, little traumas, mini T traumas, I call them, you know, where it's just like ways you've been neglected, ways you've been, you know, not paid attention to. Um, things that scared you, you know, about, you know, your dad you, would yeah. go to the, the fridge and grab a beer and all of a sudden that like makes you a little nervous, but you can't figure out why. Well, you know, those sorts of exactly. things. Exactly. So as, the more that you can unearth some of that stuff, even if it seems like there's nothing really wrong or nothing really going on that you need to work on, you can know that there's so much more that you don't know. You can mm -hmm. take my word for it. You take your word for it. <laughs> you know, people can just like believe that. There's a reason why JP2 says it's the whole project of our whole life. It's the mm -hmm. reason why St. Paul complains about doing the things that he doesn't want to do and not doing the things that he wants. And why Augustine said, why are there things I remember not remembering? Mm -hmm. And there's a whole world of things that are beyond what we know about ourselves that are waiting to be discovered as we go along. Absolutely. And the more that we can do that before we make a lifelong vow, the better for everyone it's going to be. Absolutely. And probably, honestly, the better partner you'll pick for yourself. Like you make it easier for yourself by doing this work before. Exactly. Because then you'll, you'll choose someone who's a much better fit for you as the person you want to be, you know, as you come into exactly. your Exactly. And this is what happens. You know, either way, you're going to have, you, you mean, it, either way, the vow brings suffering. Like there's going to be some dying to self that's necessary. Right. Even if it makes you holy and that's person. how. It, right. Exactly. <laughs> So it's not, this is not to say you're going to avoid the need to die to self in marriage. But the fact is, the particular kind of suffering can certainly be mitigated by doing this work on yourself first. So like take yes. the girl yes, yes. with the alcoholic father. She's attracted to the alcoholic. She gets married. She works now on him as her project because if she can get him to stop drinking, she mm. resolves her internal wound from her dad. So mm. she thinks. She gets him to stop drinking. He's no longer an alcoholic. 
she's not interested in him anymore. <laughs> now yes, she's bored. That's life. Now she's more annoyed by all the things that were there all along, but it wasn't something that she really picked up on. Or now it's like other things come because the, 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 the motivation for her attraction in the first place has been resolved. Mm. And what's left. Mm. And again, everybody's got to go through that experience. Like everybody passes through the initial stage of attraction and then we all have to deal with in marriage what's left. Right. But Which is normal. That's a normal between thing. Those two, right. It's normal. So the gap between those two though can be affected by the amount of work that you do ahead of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So last question, what is one practical tip related to the benefit of mindfulness and of therapy um, that someone who's discerning marriage, who's listening right now could implement today, right? They stop listening, stop listening to this podcast and they want to do one concrete thing, um, applying this information to their life. Do you have any recommendations? Yes. I want you to think about the last person you were attracted to. And I want you to think about the first time you met that person. And I want you to think about the first things you thought about that person when you first met them. And I want you to be super aware of whether or not you recognize the infinite dignity that that person has on their own value and being, or mm -hmm. if you transformed their value and dignity into what he or she means to you. Mm. And I want to point out how very difficult it is to really love people and approach people with that kind of reverence and awe for their dignity. And instead, especially at the time of, of discerning marriage for dating, of having that angst and that, that desire to be with somebody, we start to see people in terms of who they are to us instead of who they are to God and who they are on their own value. So that's a story in our heads. That's a narrative that we're unconscious of, that we're not aware of until somebody shines the light on it and you get a little help to see like, okay, what are you telling yourself about this person's worth and dignity and value? And are you thinking about them in terms of what they mean to you? Or are you reverencing the infinite dignity of being made in the image of God? Hmm. Because at the end of the day, maybe that person's not right for you. Maybe they're right for your best friend. <laughs> but that person has a, a vocation to holiness that if you've crossed their path in the smallest little way, be a blessing to them and not a curse mm -hmm. and loving them rightly and seeing their vocation and dignity in God instead of just using them by placing them into a context where they only matter insofar as they matter to you in your life. Mm. So that's one simple thing you could think about right now and that you that. can think about the next time you meet somebody of the opposite sex or, or with somebody of the opposite sex. Really pay attention to what that story is in your head of how you're seeing this other person. Oh, I love that. That was a great one. Thank you. So thank you so much. We are so blessed to have you. I'm so, I love this conversation. I'm so grateful for your time. And um, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, Dr. Greg. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope y'all enjoyed that episode with Dr. Greg. Um, as you heard, I'm a huge fan of his work. And so it was wonderful to get to share it with you. I hope you found something or heard something that was fruitful for your journey. Um, and we are including the link to his practice um, in our show notes. So if you need a place to get started, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'll also include the link to this database called catholictherapist.com. And so wherever you are, whether or not Dr. Greg is a good fit for you guys, um, you would be able to find a Catholic therapist in your area. And those of us who are 
well, I'm not currently on it, but people who are on it, the therapists on it, are able to um, basically fill out a form that promises that they are faithful to the magisterium. And so if you're looking for a good, solid Catholic therapist, catholictherapist.com takes the guesswork out of it. So I'll go ahead and include that if that is something you're interested in. So I just had a couple of announcements before we go. The first is that we would love it if you would join us for the live uh, 4th International Theology of the Body Congress from October 30th to November 1st. Um, of course, it's virtual this year, but the team is working really hard to make it a really wonderful live event. So we hope that you join us. And for more information, you can find the link to that in the show notes. And I am also going to be featured in a couple of virtual conferences in the next couple weeks. Um, and I'm really excited about those. I'm going to be speaking alongside some people that I really, really admire. So I'm honored to be included. Um, and I will put some those links in the show notes. And you can also find more information on our Instagram at discerning marriage. So we can chat about it over there. So thank you again for joining us and until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The Discerning Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the Theology of the Body, visit tobinstitute.org.